This is Bishop Phoebe Roth of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Each Thursday morning at Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, we have an opportunity to interview a guest, to learn more about their life and their ministry and the role of faith. And so we're coming to you from 91.7 FM WYXR, a joint partnership of the University of Memphis and the Daily Memphian. Each week, we start the show with a segment entitled Saint of the Day. And this week, uh, the saint I would like to highlight is a gentleman from Ethiopia, Moses of Ethiopia, also commonly called Moses the Black in early Christian literature. Moses was a fourth century monk who lived in one of several isolated desert monasteries in Lower Egypt. He was described as being tall, strong, black of body, and in his early life, he was the member of really a band of robbers. And while fleeing from the authorities, uh, he ended up finding shelter with a group of monks where he was so impressed by their faithfulness and kindness and way of life that he chose to be baptized and to remain with them and to dedicate his life to Jesus. He lived a very, very simple life in a cell, only eating 10 ounces of dry bread each day. Um, he was very faithful, aware of the sinfulness of his past and the power of Jesus to forgive. And um, it's to Moses that one of the most famous pieces of advice from desert monasticism is attributed. Allegedly, he said, go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. When Moses was in advanced age, he was warned that an armed band of raiders was approaching the monastery and that all of the monks needed to flee. Uh, and he decided that he was not going to leave. He was going to remain. Uh, and he and six other monks were killed by the raiders who came to the monastery. So this week, we remember Moses of Ethiopia, a person whose life started in one fashion, but because of his encounter with a group of monks, his whole life was transformed. It is a reminder uh, to us that our past actions, um, our sins of omission and of commission, are not an obstacle to having a transformed heart and a transformed life and living in the path of Jesus.
So welcome back to Faithfully Memphis. Uh, This week we are in a series of shows about the structure or the polity of the Episcopal Church, and we are honored to have as our guest the Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers, who serves as the presiding bishop's canon for evangelism and reconciliation. And in this role, she is responsible for supporting the ministry of the presiding bishop as it pertains to evangelism and reconciliation efforts at the local congregational, diocesan, and church-wide levels. Her most recent book is The Church Cracked Open, Disruption, Decline, and New Hope for Beloved Community, which we will get to at a certain point. Uh, She's a native of Kentucky and a graduate of both Episcopal Divinity School and Harvard Divinity School, and she lives in Harlem, New York. Stephanie, welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Bishop Phoebe, it's so good to be with you, sister. Yes, great to be here. So we normally start out by asking our guests, what was the role of faith in your life as a child growing up? Did you grow up in a faith tradition? And if so, what was that like? This could be the entire episode, right? (laughs) Um, Because I was an honorary child. (laughs) Remember Kentucky, so just keep that in mind. Yes, okay. So Appalachia, all Mm. of that. Um, I'm African-American, and so when a lot of people hear, oh, yeah, you're black, Southern, um, so you must have grown up really Christian. You must have the grandmother with the Bible, you know, and yep. she's in the rocking chair and, you know, just like all oh, children, let me tell you about Jesus. All <laughs> oh, children, let me read you my favorite scriptures. That was not my grandmother. <laughs> um, she was, she, she had seven children and ended up, um, losing her husband right after her seventh child was born. Oh, wow. So she was a single mother mm. in the, like in the, 60s, early, early 60s when he died. Um, But what that meant was that when she really needed the church, Mm -hmm. church wasn't there for her. The church was, she experienced them as judging her, but in no way being helpful for her. Yeah. So my grandmother, honestly, like in some critical years, she opted out of church. Okay. And what that meant was that by the time my generation came along, Mm -hmm. church was, you could do it or not. you know, my mom tried to get me and my brother sometimes to go to church, but my mom was working two jobs to support us because yep. my dad had left. Right. Too. And so um, so I kind of came up in this family where we were not against church right. like by the time my generation came, but um, but it really just didn't matter much. Mm-hmm. And and so when my cousins were, were eventually finding their way into church, we'd all gone to vacation Bible school and everything because, hey, that was summer camp yes, for us. Yes, exactly. Four kids down yeah, south. free vacation summer Bible camp. Was just exactly. Summer camp, you know? <laughs> um, and so they got baptized, but I was still asking questions. Mm-hmm. And I was the one, I still remember like sitting there, maybe age 10, I think sitting there and watching and listening to the pastor. Hmm. You're like, hmm, he's preaching about wives obey your husbands, but there are no husbands here. Right. This is a whole lot of single moms in this, you know, in this little church in Mm -hmm. downtown Frankfort, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a bunch of single moms. I don't think he means obey your husbands. I think he means obey me. Ah. I was 10 years old when I started wow. like putting those pieces together. Yeah. So, so it took 
Like fast forward, like I was super spiritual. I mm -hmm. even went to divinity school. I majored in religion in college, mm -hmm. but um, I did not get baptized until I was age 28. Got it. Yeah. So, so I loved things spiritual. I loved talking about like we, my friends were all, oh, Stephanie wants to have a conversation about the <laughs> ultimate, you know, yeah. like, that was my thing. You know, yeah. but I was doing it about Hinduism, about Buddhism. You know, when I went to Harvard, I thought I was preparing to be a professor of Buddhism. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of felt like I was like, yeah, Christianity that I had seen didn't look much like Jesus. Got it. And so I said, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Until I found Christians who seemed like they were actually following this Jesus guy wow. that I'd read about, but not mm -hmm. really seen much in action. Mm -hmm. um, when I saw him in action in their lives, boom. Yeah. It was like, sign me up. I'm in within like three years of getting baptized. I was in the process for ordination. It was wow. like, boom, 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 boom. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, the young years that opened that up for mm -hmm. me. It came much later. Wow. Yeah. So, but it sounds like the Holy Spirit was still active and working in your life. Mm -hmm. The fact that you were making those deep theological connections at an early age. Yeah. Oh, I was, I, I loved, like I said, I loved those big questions. Right. And you know, I, I loved being in college, you know, because that was the time when you were on your bunk beds, right. in your dorm room, staying up late at up night, yep, yep. talking about things that mattered. Yeah. Um, and I just, I loved that. I loved studying religion at a Southern Baptist school. I mm -hmm. went to Wake Forest University mm -hmm. when they had just broken from the Southern Baptist Got it. convention. Just mm -hmm. like they had broken in 86. My class showed up in 89. Got it. Um, so yeah, I wanted that. I craved that. Um, I just, I needed that, that intimate connection with things mm -hmm. that mattered most. Yeah. And I found it in nature. Mm -hmm. I found it singing in the gospel choir. Yeah. That was the other, it was like, I was at Wake Forest. I wasn't baptized, but I sang in the gospel choir and got saved a couple of times, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but then they wanted to take me to church. I'm like, nope. And got like it. slip the knot every time. <laughs> Yeah, no, God, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, God, you were working out so much. All the time. So yeah. much. I was a religion reporter in Knoxville. Wow. Um, just across, you know, the yeah. other long yeah. way across the state. So that's the Diocese of East Tennessee. There you yeah. go. There you go. Um, yeah, I was a religion reporter there after I graduated from Harvard. Yeah. Um, and I just, I got to have conversations about religion of all kinds yeah. for a living. Yeah. And then I got to write those stories. Yeah. Like it was so much fun. Yeah. And then God's like, so remember Jesus, <laughs> you know, you never really like really gave him a chance. Yeah. I'm like, well, I didn't see him. Right. And your people. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did. Wow. Wow. And then I did. That's yeah. a beautiful story. So, um, in your work, you support our presiding bishop, the most reverend, Michael Curry. The most irreverend. <laughs> <laughs> I need to say. Yes. And since this is part of a series of the structure of the church, yes. I just wondered from your perspective, how do you see the role of the presiding bishop's office within the whole structure of the Episcopal Church? Right, right. Again, as someone who came from being very suspicious of church, yep, I am suspicious of authority, always asking questions about, but why do you need that? And why, is, why are they asking for that? And who's in charge anyway? I find that 
the presiding bishop, mm -hmm. that role makes so much sense. Okay. To me, it's not really just about the power mm -hmm. and the position. It's more about like, it's really helpful having someone who is a spiritual centering mm -hmm. figure, but also a structural centering figure. Mm -hmm. Now, I've led institutions that were very intentionally flat. Right. Um, and you know, the like, Episcopal Church is not it ain't one. flat. No, exactly. It ain't one. Uh, I was a church planter in the Episcopal Church. So mm -hmm. in a way, I was at the other end of the spectrum in terms of polity. I started mm -hmm. out um, launching a brand new church mm -hmm. within the life of a cathedral in Boston, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. Okay. And in that ministry, like I was, I was the priest who facilitated the ministries of all the people. Mm -hmm. But what I also see, and I, I see this kind of at the presiding bishop level and when I was a priest at doing mm -hmm. what I was doing, in both instances, it's like we need a person mm. who says, I will be this on your behalf. Mm. Someone who's not going to get caught up in it for themselves, but who understands that they have been granted a certain degree of power and authority in order to release the authority, to activate the authority of others. Mm. It's really helpful in our system to have a presiding bishop that is a bishop who is elected by the other bishops. Mm -hmm. And then that's confirmed by another group of leaders called deputies. Right. Um, and they get together every three years or in, depending on a, depending right. on if there's a pandemic <laughs> or not. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, but that presiding bishop really is elected by his or her peers. Mm -hmm. And what they, they're saying is, there's a ministry that we all share and that we share as a whole church. Will you hold that out to us? Mm -hmm. Will you just help us to remember what we're supposed to be about when we start just getting into all of our day to day? Right. And that's to me, like, that's what I do as a priest. Mm -hmm. now, like everybody has a priesthood, but my job is to, to be the one who says, remember, you know, like in the midst of your, just everything else you do in your life, if you're following Jesus, you have a priesthood. Yeah. You have a way that you help other people to discover the holy. And now my job is to help you, you to, to remember that. that and to grow in that. Right. Um, so we need that level. I think we need all of these levels. Right. We need a presiding bishop. We need a presiding bishop who has a staff. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm one of the three kind of like almost like assisting priests. Right. Who... Um, when I'm talking to Roman Catholic friends, I'm like, I'm kind of like a Monsignor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but like at a church-wide level, right. like if the Pope had a Monsignor, right. they're like, what? I'm like, I'm trying. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> These parallels don't always work. But um, but yeah, like we, it's it's helpful for that presiding bishop to be able to cast a vision. Yep. To listen, because part of what a presiding bishop does is just go all over the church. So he goes around, he listens and then he's able to hand back to the church. Here is a vision mm. for where it feels like where I'm discerning, where it seems like we're all seeing God moving us. Mm -hmm. All of us can't go do that. Right. <laughs> and all of us can't have a staff of people who then support the enactment of that vision. We need somebody who does. Yeah. And that's a presiding bishop. Wow. So that's a lot, but I love my no. job too. That's great. <laughs> I love this work. Now, your work encompasses evangelism and reconciliation. And creation care. And creation care. Mm -hmm. Like three 
huge portfolios and, and I, ministries and church planting wow. and domestic poverty. Wow. Wow. And the UTF. Yeah. Wow. And the United Think Offering. Sorry. Yeah. All of those are in my portfolio. <laughs> so, I mean, this, what does a day, a typical day look like for the Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers with all of that? <laughs> It starts early and it ends late. Yep, I would imagine. <laughs> um, well, actually, for me, it starts late and it ends late because yeah. I don't like mornings. Right. But um, <laughs> um, a lot of what I do is kind of what I was describing. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like my role is a support role, mm -hmm. and part of how I support is by handing back to the church. Um, kind of an actionable version of the things that the church says it wants to be and to do. Okay. Um, and I work with an amazing team of people who are all helping to make that happen. So the church says, we really want to connect with people of different racial, cultural backgrounds. I'm like, all right, we've got these ethnic missioners mm -hmm. who are in charge of ministry with black communities, Latino communities, indigenous communities, Asian, and Asian American mm -hmm. communities. And we will help you to live into what you've already said matters to you. Mm -hmm. You know, when the presiding bishop was elected, he was very upfront in saying, like, I'm not just going to be your chief executive officer. I'm going to be your chief evangelism officer. Yes. And church is like, that sounds great. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so a big part of my work has been, all right, how do, you, how do we help Episcopalians to live into what we've said we want to do around evangelism, mm -hmm. given that we have so many just like hangups about mm -hmm. evangelism. Mm -hmm. We've said we want to do work on race, on racial healing, mm -hmm. um, reckoning with the fact that we as church have been so very complicit mm -hmm. in systems of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. We've said we want to reckon. Mm -hmm. My job is to to help the church to enact what it has said matters. Got it. And so I don't just kind of come up with ideas and I mm -hmm. certainly don't just get to sit around making decisions, even when I want to. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way we're structured. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I my job is to listen as carefully as possible to the church, like when I was a reporter, mm -hmm. and then to kind of reflect back, mm -hmm. here's what I see you saying, here's what I hear you saying, here's what I see you doing, mm -hmm. here's what I feel you yearning for. Yeah. What do you need to be able to do that? Yeah. And then just like gather, 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 yeah. gather, assemble, assemble, and um yeah. and craft. Yeah. A lot of things so that so that we can do it. Right. Do you have um any examples, uh maybe one or two examples of a place either at the diocesan level or congregational level? or school, you know, mm -hmm. Episcopal ministry, where you see people really living into some of the things that fall within your portfolio. Yeah. That has been, I have seen yeah. that happening, and it has been one of the greatest gifts of this job, mm -hmm. Bishop, um, is like, for instance, as I said, one of the real, one of the signature calls for this presiding bishop was to help the church to move on evangelism. And we knew it was like, this is an uphill climb. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, Episcopalians just, we've often, we are so busy saying that we're not like those other Christians. Right. And 
some of those other Christians are Christians who are really excited about evangelism. Right. So we move into this reactive mode mm -hmm. where we're like, well, then we don't do evangelism. Well, why? Because that's what Baptists do, and we're not Baptists. Right. That's what you know. That's what Jehovah's Witness do. or what? Jehovah's yeah, yeah, yeah. Witnesses do, and we're not that. right. So we've had to do some real deep culture work on evangelism and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just say that yeah. just as folk have have real reticence around the practice of evangelism, a lot of Episcopalians also have real reticence about claiming the name of Jesus. Yeah. Um, pro proclaiming their love for Jesus. It's just, it's not an easy thing for a lot of us to do. Mm -hmm. And so for this presiding bishop, he knew early on, he's like, I need to help Episcopalians to just like to reanimate. Yeah, to really of embrace them for the first time Jesus. To embrace yeah. Jesus. So we, you know, see, he, he kind of had handed that to me. It was like, okay. Help, helping to make this happen. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I worked with him and, and with, you know, like the, you know, like a couple of other major mm -hmm. church leaders who were in parishes. Right. Um, and some bishops. And we all got together at like an airport Marriott hotel in Atlanta. And we kind of like the, the other convener and I led mm -hmm. the group of like 12 people. Mm -hmm. Magic number oh, of yeah. questions, 12 yeah. people. So we led them through a discerning process with the presiding bishop really sharing what he saw as the challenge for the church around embracing Jesus. Right. And just what is it that God is calling us to be? And what's what's standing in our way? Mm -hmm. And what we came around to is some, we kind of gave birth in those two days to something that we call the way of love. Yes. And of course, we don't just say the way of love. That's Jesus, you know, right. Jesus and his way of love. But um, Bishop Curry had been talking about a way of love for years and years. But in those sessions, we really identified together what is a rule of life? Mm-hmm for just regular Episcopalians right. that we can take up that has us practicing life like Jesus. And if we're doing that, then however small we get, we will still be vibrant practicing communities of followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. However big we get, like this is something that you can do in a cathedral and it's something you can do in a house church right. and everywhere in between. And if we're doing these things, we will grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And the steps along the way were very simple. We we're like, just one word. We we're like, right. oh, we want to make it, don't make it complicated. Right. One word. Turn, mm -hmm. as in turn toward Jesus. Yes. Learn, pray, pray like Jesus prayed um, mm -hmm. to God, offer your life back to God. Mm -hmm. Worship, mm -hmm. as in place yourself in this relationship with God where you are opening and just giving thanks and everything else with God. Um, so turn, learn, pray, worship, bless. So how do you give that away? Like mm -hmm. having having gotten steeped in the love of Christ and in his ways, bless is give it away because Jesus gave it away. Right. Everything he gave away is very life. So bless and go. Mm -hmm. Like it can't just be about you in this place. Right. It can't even just be about you and the small group of people you bless. Go, get yeah. out there um, and, and heal and reconcile mm -hmm. and do all the things that Jesus was busy doing, crossing all kinds of, of, you know, barriers to get out there and share love and rest. And rest, yeah. Rest, because we don't do enough of that. And rest is when we receive the grace of God and are like, it's not just up to me. It's not yeah. just up to you. Yeah. Bishop, 
the response to the way of love, we, we unveiled it in 2018 at a general mm -hmm. convention. And we came with like, we're like, let's have 5,000 cards and we'll try to really get them out there. We ran out of those cards day one. Yeah. People were snatching up stacks and stacks, and then they were coming back to us and saying, here's what we're doing with it. And yeah. pretty soon we, I mean, and we wanted that. Like we had partner organizations mm -hmm. from the beginning. So we're like, all right, we're coming up with this, but it can't just be owned by the churchwide offices. Or right. The national church. I'm putting that in quotes. Right. Um, we're like, it has to belong to everybody. It's open source. So we're like, just show us what you're creating. Just send it back around. And if you go to episcopalchurch.org slash way of love, mm -hmm. you will see what is still growing, you know? mm -hmm. like now four years later, um, this robust space where Episcopalians are sharing with each other how we become more and more like Jesus mm -hmm. and how we live his way of love. Yeah. And, you know, this general convention we're about to have this summer mm -hmm. is called well, or the title is Walking in Love. Yeah. So, so yeah, like I know, like there are congregations mm -hmm. that now have a rule of life. There, there are, you know, ministries with children that are now using, that have created a way of love for, for children. Appropriate for children. You wow. know, like, you know, curriculum. And we didn't write it. Mm -hmm. They wrote it in that parish. They wrote it in that diocese. They wrote mm -hmm. it wherever. It's a long example, but it's mm -hmm. a really, it's just... I feel like we are not in the same place right now mm -hmm. in our relationship with God in Christ as we were in 2018 Yes, when we kind of came up with that. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have done that except I feel like at this level mm -hmm. of church life. Right. One of the things that I love about it is that even in the images, it's circular. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like you have to start any one particular place. Right. Any of those seven things you can start and move around. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey with the Lord, yeah. there's a place for you to enter in. Yeah. And then you know that you're never finished. Correct. Right. I mean, that, you know, so Correct. many people are like, all right, so we want our four steps right. to spiritual maturity or whatever. I'm like, how about a circle? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> or better right. yet, a labyrinth. You yeah. Know, which is actually the image that we use for right. our work on racial reconciliation, mm -hmm. justice, and healing. Yeah. Um, which is another case where, you know, like I go into congregations or dioceses and I see the language, I hear the language, I see the images, mm -hmm. and I, I, people want to tell about like, we're excited that we're a part of something bigger. Yeah. Thank you for giving us something that we could grab onto. Like you helped to create it. Mm -hmm. Your voices, your questions, your yearning was what informed the creation of this. And it's iterative. Like what you do with it, tell us, and then we're going to do some more stuff with it and pass that back. And yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cool and different. Yes. I think it's it's definitely a different way of doing ministry at this level. I'm yeah. aware like there are a lot of people who have occupied similar positions and didn't do it this way. But I'm a Gen Xer and yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to pivot a little bit to talk about your most recent book. Mm. My understanding is that you're addressing the significant changes in the church because yes. of everything that's happened in the world. Phew and in our nation over the past couple of years. Um, and so I'm wondering, this is a question that I often get as a bishop, so I'm going to put it on you. Okay. 
What is your sense of what the church of the future is really going to look like and feel like? And I wonder what uh, sort of things that we're comfortable and familiar with now do you think we will have moving forward? And where are some areas where it may look and feel really different Mm -hmm. in a few years? Mm -hmm. The pandemic has so completely just shattered our traditional understandings of what church is or even should be. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I love my Episcopal church. I love my Episcopal family. As I said, it took me a long time to come to church. So like, ain't nobody making me do this. You know, <laughs> right. there's, there, again, there's no grandmother like, get to right. our Episcopal church, sweetie. No, like right. my family doesn't even know. Like, right. They're like, you're Episcopal, what? <laughs> you're, you're Epi, who? You know? like, they don't know. Um, so there are a lot of things that needed to be, that needed to die. Yeah. There are a lot of things in our church's life that have needed and still need to die. Mm -hmm. And that's true for everybody following Jesus. That's not an indictment. That's not a judgment. Of the past generations, right. Exactly. It's not that you did something wrong and now we need to fix it. It's that, like, my mom just died Mm -hmm. uh, in January, January 12th. And I just got a new tattoo. I only have two tattoos, so this is the second one. And... um, it's on my my right upper arm, mm-hmm. and it's a butterfly. Because mm. there is a butterfly that I saw in the floral arrangement um, on top of her casket, and I pulled it out. Wow! And had been praying with it, mm-hmm. and then I took it to the tattoo parlor because that's what you do with the thing you pray with, right? Right. So, <laughs> but it was also just this reminder for me that there are so many ways, so many just so many just moments of death Mm -hmm. that are just a part of life. Yeah. And that if I can't embrace that, you know, like I feel like my mom is with me in a different way now, but in a really powerful way. But I know there are people who, when somebody as close to them as my mom was and is to me, Mm -hmm. when that person dies, they just feel like they're gone. Right. Like it's over. Right. And like, no, it's not over. She just like, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Like, Bishop, I'm actually curious. How will mom show up? Right. And then she's been like showing, showing up, up in these like really cool ways yeah. and teaching me still. And yeah. Can we do that with church? Mm-hmm. Can we allow the thing to to pass? Maybe not even to die, but just to pass from whatever the life is that has that has ended mm-hmm. and has run its course. And allow God to show up in a new way. Exactly. And honestly, for me, like the way of love is a big part of how I believe we can show up in a new way. And God is Mm -hmm. inviting us to be church in a new way. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can be these intentional practicing Christian communities, intentional practicing communities following in the way of Jesus, then that's what church is. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I had said that, I had said that five years, you know, four years ago, five years ago, whatever, people have been like, you must hate church, whatever. I can say that now 
and people tune in. Yeah. Because they've had a taste of that. Because mm-hmm. we they, haven't been in our buildings. Exactly. You're know, like, people figured out how to pray together mm-hmm. with no p- clergy person around. They figured out, shh, don't tell, how to have communion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they've, they've been praying more. They've been reading scripture more. Mm-hmm. They've been blessing their neighbors. We've been church. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, can we allow some of the things, mm-hmm. some of our associations with church that really no longer... They didn't serve us anymore. Can we let those die? Yeah. The idea that it has to be in a church building. Right. And that that church building has to have certain accoutrements. Right. You know, that it's got to have these windows. It's got to have, you know, like this music, that organ. Right. So much. It's like, you haven't heard an organ in two years. <laughs> and you know you okay about it. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and now you're trying to raise a million dollars to redo that organ. How about you go feed somebody right. with that money? Um, again, we could have said that two years ago and people, there would have been a real fight. Mm-hmm. Now you can actually have that conversation. Yeah. So there are things that are dying that need to die so that we can really become the followers of Jesus mm-hmm. and his way of love that we were baptized to be, called mm-hmm. to be, born to be. Yeah. And church cracked open. You know, my book right. is really just kind of an exploration of. Mm-hmm. What are the things that need to die, particularly mm-hmm. our church's relationship with white supremacy? Mm. But not only that, with right. establishment of all kinds, yeah. with the empire mm-hmm. being kind of the mm-hmm. church of the culture. Right. Can some of these things die? Mm-hmm. And can we be reborn in relationship with our, with our neighbors? Mm-hmm. Can we be reborn serving and listening carefully to how they understand God? Mm-hmm. And then can we together walk the way of love? That's the church that that should live. Mm-hmm. That's the church that I believe will live for many, 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 mm-hmm. many, many years to come. And I don't know what role all of the buildings will have. Right. I don't know what role the polity. Right. You know, the, the bishops will have. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, those pointy hats are great, but do we need 110 <laughs> of them? You know, yeah. <laughs> or nine or whatever the <laughs> right, number is Right, now, right, you know? right. I would argue that we have too many. Right, exactly. Yeah. Do we need 900, you know, people Showing up together? every three years, yeah. Yeah, because like our... House of Deputies, kind yes. of that kind of counterpart to the House of, of bishops. bishops at General Convention. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That House of Deputies has about 900 members. We have the largest, the second largest bicameral legislative body on the planet, second only to the Parliament of India. So in other words, a country that has more than a billion people has a similar system to a church with less than 2 million. Precisely. It doesn't even make sense. Precisely. Yeah. So these are yeah. the things that, yeah. that do not serve us anymore. Right. And can we, can we approach them mm-hmm. like that butterfly that's on my shoulder permanently? Yeah. Can we say there is another life that needs to be born and something else is going to have to give way mm-hmm. for that life to come. And I look forward to it. Yeah. This is a beautiful butterfly. Yeah. And I see my mom and I hear my mom and I feel my mom in a way that I didn't two months ago. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I would trade anything for the butterfly that she is now for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade what we are becoming 
if you told me that we could go back to what we were. Yeah, yeah. Bishop Kim Lucas of the Diocese of Colorado has a beautiful metaphor that she has shared several times and it resonates with me. And she said, we're in an Oregon trail moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she talks about how, you know, there were settlers going West and they packed up everything they owned, including their aunt's piano. And they get to a certain point trying to go up mountains and through valleys. And they realize we can't get this piano over this mountain. And by the way, it's freezing. Mm -hmm. And so the best use is to cut it up, to use the wood to burn, to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to figure out something on the other side of the Oregon trail. And it's no disrespect to the piano lessons that your great aunt taught you. But in this moment, it's a burden more than it is an instrument or a tool. And so it's almost like the church is being invited to ask what are the tools that we need that work today yeah and i love the way you put it it's no knock on what the prior generation because those tools worked for them right they just don't work for us right yeah well and those tools also worked for the church that we were willing to be then right let's be clear because in many ways they didn't work Mm -hmm. um like i'm realizing even as we're having this conversation you know that a white supremacist church well yeah work (laughs) right (laughs) right right it 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 worked for a few people Mm -hmm. um but it didn't get us closer to jesus it actually like that the way that that church functioned actually took us further from Jesus because yeah. that's that's when you when you serve the empire mm-hmm. when you agree to be the church that blesses the slaveocracy mm-hmm. which we were like you're you're not actually church yeah you're something else so it served what we were trying to be at the time. Right. And now we want to be church. Yeah, we want to be something different. We want to we want to actually be yeah. the church. We want to be what Jesus asked us to be. Um, and we've made bargains with him and we've we've pretended we didn't hear him. You know, think of all of those folk, you know, who were good Episcopalians, good Christians, mm-hmm. and then went, you know, back to their back to their plantations yep. and you know or or went back to their segregated churches mm-hmm. where you know like oh no no there's a reason why black people aren't here there's a reason why latinos aren't here it's like yeah there's a reason and it's because that's been our pattern right because that's who we said we wanted to be this yeah. isn't by accident right we didn't accidentally become the segregated mm-hmm. like y'all are here in west tennessee we are 65% black and Latino mm-hmm. people in the community, right? In the community. What's the percentage in your churches? Probably five to 6%. The diocese yeah. is more than 90% white. That's not accidental, right? That's the church we said we wanted to be. Yeah. And we were that. Mm-hmm. Do we want to be something else? Right. Well, then something's going to have to give way. Right. Some kind of way of being church needs to end so that another way can be born. Yeah. And we're people of resurrection. Exactly. So we shouldn't be afraid that if one form dies, something beautiful can come from that. Butterfly. Butterfly. I'm just going to keep coming back to (laughs) you. I'm telling you. Like mom has given me sermon material for the next (laughs) decade. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, from my seat in the diocesan structure, Mm -hmm. I have a unique vantage point because I'm really the only person that goes on a regular basis to every single congregation and school and ministry. 
in your role as a canon for the presiding bishop, you're not only seeing things in the domestic United States, but also, you know, traveling with him internationally. And so I wonder, as we uh, prepare to conclude the conversation, you're seeing so many things. And I would imagine stories that are exciting and hopeful for you and also, you know, deep pain and disappointment. So I wonder in the midst of all of that, mm. what's giving you a sense of hope right now? about the future. What's giving me hope about the future? Hope. <laughs> when I got this tattoo with the butterfly, mm -hmm. I was torn between that one uh, or between having a butterfly tattooed and having um, some kind of like Superman shield. I don't know what the letter would have been inside it. Okay. But, um, and it would have said hope is my superpower. Wow. Yeah. I can't remember who I heard say uh -huh, that, but it just, uh -huh. um, I see so many reasons to hope mm -hmm. and I have to hang on to them Yeah, because I also see reasons to despair. Right. Um, and on any given day, it can swing one way or the other. Right. right. Let's be honest. So the hope for me comes when I see people trying things that they thought they could not do. Mm -hmm. That gets me so excited. Yeah. Um, I'm also willing to do that. So I'm kind of, I'm that kind of person. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but I also like doing things really well. So yeah. don't get me wrong. <laughs> I don't like doing things, you know. Um, I don't like, well, anyway, I, I, I like doing new things, but I like doing them well. Mm -hmm. um, but I get excited when I see us trying these things mm -hmm. and falling back into the arms of God. Yeah. Um, I feel hope when <laughs> I feel hope when a white church sings gospel music mm. and they've moved into some relationship with a mm -hmm. community for whom that is, that is indigenous music. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, it's the music of that culture, but, um, but when they sing it and they sing badly, mm. I would say, I know so many folks who like, they would never do that. Be like, right. oh no, 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 no. We don't sing music like that. Why? It's we don't do it well. You know, our music mm -hmm. director wasn't trained in that or whatever. Like, but if you love the people mm -hmm. who for whom that is the music of their heart, mm -hmm. could you try to sing it? Mm -hmm. And even if you do it badly, could your love for them carry you through your embarrassment mm -hmm. and bring you to a place of joy? Yeah. And when I see folk taking those kinds of risks, taking a risk for the sake of love, yeah. falling flat on our faces, mm -hmm. getting back up and trying it again. Yeah. Every time, and I feel like the last two years of pandemic. We've seen that. Over and over and it. over and over. You know, like all these churches who are known for it, like National Cathedral mm -hmm. has had some really big flub ups. You know, like, I mean, and they're not supposed to have those. Right. I've laughed with joy every yeah. time somebody has contacted me and been like, I heard that National Cathedral messed up something in their broadcast or whatever. I'm yeah. like, great. <laughs> What's next? What are they yeah. going to do? What are they going to mess up next? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, whenever we just, just try. Mm -hmm. Jesus has not asked us to be perfect. He's, right. He's asked us to be faithful. And sometimes you will be most faithful when you risk and you fail yeah. and you get back up. That's resurrection too. Yeah. 
That gives me hope. Well, thank you for your work supporting our beloved presiding bishop and in doing so, you know, the hope that you are helping to instill uh, not only within the Episcopal fold, but beyond continued blessings on your ministry, Canon Stephanie. Thank you, my dear sister, and thank you for being an evangelist and friend to me and to so many of us. The, um, the Diocese of West Tennessee is so very blessed to have you and to have these conversations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Faithfully Memphis. Just a reminder that you can listen to this podcast wherever you hear podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Music. We encourage you not only to listen to us, but also to follow us, to like us, and to give us any comments or feedback about the shows and your suggestions or recommendations for future topics that we might want to cover. So until next week, friends, stay safe and stay positive.